just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the show. Let me give you a little bit of background to this particular episode. I have been for the last several weeks switching over all of my systems to move to a live stream format for the show. Some of you may already be aware of this, you may not be. However, what this has meant that uh, shows like this where I was just getting started with live streaming, there were a few technical hiccups, let's say, but overall things have gone pretty well. And the general video and audio quality that I'm now getting from the service I'm using is a big improvement to what I was getting just using Zoom and other services. Now, one of the reasons for switching over to live streams was to allow the possibility for greater audience interaction. If you are interested in joining us in the virtual studio for live recordings of Speaking of Influence or even Points of Change, my other show, then please get in contact with me either through my website presentinfluence.com or connect with me on LinkedIn and drop me a line and let me know you'd like to join us in the virtual studio. I will give you some of the links for when we're going live and if you stay on, once we finish the live stream, there will be an opportunity for audience members to ask the guests and me any questions that you might have as well. So we'll stay on for an extra five or ten minutes for audience questions, so long as people do come and join us in the live studio. That said, we didn't get any live interaction on this particular episode, but it's still all very new. My guest on this show is Dr. Laurie Baker-Shenner, making sure I say it correctly this time. And Laurie is a leadership coach and definitely an expert, really a lot of fun to talk to with great expertise and really very good at communicating and uh, teaching about communication skills. When I discussed with Laurie what we would talk about on the show, we decided that the topic would best be to talk about elevating your communication, both in your professional life and maybe even in your personal life as well. And we certainly get into some of those topics and I got some tips from her that I've taken home into my relationship as well and I think they're very beneficial. I hope you'll enjoy the show. I certainly enjoyed making it. I know that Laurie enjoyed being on the show as well. We had a lot of fun and I think you'll get that as you listen to the episode. The price of admission for the show is please share it with your friends and make sure that you subscribe as well if you haven't already done so. Without any further ado then, please enjoy this week's episode of Speaking of Influence. Welcome to Speaking of Influence, the podcast about public speaking, presentation skills and tools of influence and persuasion with presentation skills expert Johnny Ball. Most online content creators seem to agree that live streaming is the future and definitely the way to go. If you have thought about live streaming and you'd like to give it a try, my recommendation is Restream.io. It's the service I use and if you use the link in the description, you will get a $10 credit after you complete your first live stream. 
Welcome, welcome to Speaking of Influence. We are going live, we are broadcasting live, and I am joined today by an incredible guest. Her name is Laurie Baker Shana. She is a Dr. Laurie Baker Shana, Shana even. Uh, Shana like Hannah, I was told before we started. We're going to be chatting very shortly, so let's get into it. Uh, now, we connected through through one of those wonderful networks that connects amazing guests with podcast hosts. And I was very interested to speak to you because a lot of what you do is about communication. In fact, your background is in leadership psychology, like organizational leadership, yes? Yes, not, not psychology as much as leadership and organizations. And uh, there's, of course, a lot of emotional intelligence in there. I leave the psychology to therapists, and I always tell my clients, <laughs> Get a therapist. I'm not a therapist, but I can help you get unstuck. But uh, you might have bigger problems than what I can help you with. But the whole idea of a, my doctorate in organizational leadership is to look at both organizations and people to help elevate everyone to be a, a better company and better leaders. And I've really enjoyed that journey because the need for this, Johnny, is so huge out there. I would agree with that. And you know, my whole show is really about communication in one level or another. And so it's, from that perspective, it's important to talk to somebody like you who, who understands about how to elevate your communication. What do we really mean by that when we're talking about elevation then in terms of your communication? Communicating is so very, very important. And many of us have never really learned how to communicate well. Because we, when we speak, we just speak. And we don't necessarily think about how our message is being received. So it's really important to remember who your audience is, who you're speaking with, so that you can be heard. The other end of that is being an active listener. Uh, all of us are notoriously not good active listeners. In yeah. fact, when I... Um, give speeches. Someday I'll be in person again. But I always ask my audiences, how many of you are active listeners? And literally, I'll be speaking to hundreds of people and two people will raise their hands because we have that's a lost art. But without being able to actively listen and be with somebody while they're speaking to you, as well as being mindful of what you're saying, your communication can really suffer and some of your goals that you want to do or the leadership that the motivation you'd like to be as a leader does not come through. So communication is vital. And I'm so glad you have this podcast. And I think your guests are very lucky to have you because this is a crucial oh, area that every single leader I know needs. Thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I mean, there are some, there are certainly a handful, probably more than a handful of podcasts and shows about public speaking and presentation skills. I think one of the things that perhaps makes mine a bit more unique is that we do probably touch more on the psychology of it and broader, more broadly into presentation skills, but tools of influence and persuasion and particularly relevant to people from using from various platforms, you know, both online, video, audio, and live in person events as well, that it is just as important and there are some differences between those but being able to understand those tools of influence and persuasion as well is a critical part of that as well uh, and I think that's one of the things that guests who come on my show really get so I don't know if there are other podcasts talking about this I haven't come across them let me know if you know that there are because uh, I would love to connect yeah yeah we might, might have a double act to, to a collaboration to go on to. But I agree that this is such an important area, so much so that there are lots of people selling services and products and courses and the likes about exactly this area because it's so needed. 
Absolutely. And it's interesting that we don't, some people take communications classes in college, but we don't actively, once you get into the workplace, there's never any real training how to communicate, nor is there a real lot of training on how to be a leader, which is how I got into this to begin with leadership training. I had a doctor's organizational leadership, bleh, organizational leadership, <laughs> and I have a background in marketing. So it's, it's kind of a lovely, lovely pairing. And I was a professor for 25 years at, at a university setting in communications and, and public relations. And I found that when you have somebody in your organization and they get promoted, it's usually promotion based on how well they do. It's a good person doing that. Let's give, let's make them a supervisor or let's make her yeah. a supervisor. And then they get to be a supervisor and no one's taught them how to lead a team, how to manage conflict how to communicate and motivate. And all of a sudden you've got miserable managers and miserable employees because no one taught them those skills. You just can't learn by osmosis. So that's my right. niche is I'd like to get into companies or in even individually and help people really hone their leadership skills. But also that, and Johnny, why I'm saying that is part of that, that equation is the communication. Right. Yeah, to be sure, the communication is a, is a key thing here. I've had clients come to me before now with exactly the issues you're talking about, that they get promoted up through the ranks of their company. And uh, generally, as you show that you can do more, people give you better things to do, better roles to do, but they don't necessarily prepare you. People, especially in big corporations, tend to just put someone in a position and figure, oh, you'll figure it out. I did. But often not realizing that they maybe they didn't or perhaps not as well as they thought that some of the things I've heard from clients before are that the people at the top of the company who've worked their way to those positions are not great at communicating with their teams and are not great at interpersonal communication and have a very us and them division between leadership and the people working at the lower levels of the company, which doesn't feel very holistic, really, does it? It really isn't. And we've all been in those team meetings where someone always talks over someone else, you know, and or they talk forever. And being able to lead a meeting where you can control all that is really a gift, as opposed to having people walk all over you, as well as conflict yeah. management. When you have people in your teams or in your company that are at odds with each other, how to manage that. And again, and, and you know, Johnny, that's all communication. Co conflict management is like pure communication. So definitely there's a need there. So I like to see that. I love that fact you have your podcast out here and, and how to speak with each other and to other people. One of the things that, that has helped me a lot has been undoubtedly getting involved with the Toastmasters organization. And my primary reason for Toastmasters, for joining Toastmasters, may not be the same as everyone else's. I mean, other than that we all want to do speaking in some way, shape or form. We all want to be better communicators in that kind of environment. And we all benefit from it. We know it's an important leadership skill. But I joined really because I just wanted to brush up, not because I wasn't already a good speaker. I always felt that I was pretty good. But I undoubtedly have become even better since doing that and you know it's one of those things that the more you the further you get with things the more you realize how much you just don't know <laughs> it's like okay i don't even think i'm such a good speaker as i did when i joined but i know i'm better than i was when i joined if that makes any sense at it all. it makes a lot of sense absolutely yeah 
but it has been a huge help in terms of my own leadership because it makes me less afraid to have my voice out there and to be talking about things and hopefully even making a difference with it because it's helped me to realize and recognize just how much of an impact you can make. And throughout history, we are littered with examples of an embarrassment of riches of people who have changed the world through communication, through getting up onto a platform and speaking from the heart or saying things uh, with a level of eloquence, uh, just really hitting home for people. That's how powerful communication is. And that's why it's such uh, an important part or for everybody to understand, but that's why I have a show about it. Absolutely. What do you see as being the most critical parts or elements of being a good communicator? Well, I think you really need to take a holistic approach to your communication. And you have to be very mindful of what you're saying and how you're saying it. So if you're in a motivation part of it as a leader, you want to be sure that you're motivating your, let's say your employees in ways that they're motivated. There's a lot of research that shows that employees aren't necessarily motivated with money. Many of the younger employees, which I'll get to about intergenerational, but younger employees need to be appreciated. They need to be working for a firm that has a commitment to a, a social goal. So there's other things in the world that you can motivate your employees with instead of just money. And also, Johnny, inter, intergenerationally, how you're going to speak to Generation Z is very different than how you're going to speak to boomers. And thinking that you can write one email or make one speech to a company and reach everybody so that they feel you is dangerous thinking because they will not all relate to you. So knowing, being very mindful of, of who you're speaking with and what their needs are, are crucial. And the second thing we need to do is we have to, we're still in this virtual world. And I think many, many employees will be staying virtually working, you know, working from home and communicating to them is absolutely crucial. We, I just got off a meeting. I have an early morning, Wednesday morning meeting at 6 a.m. leadership meeting with a client. And we were talking about how to onboard employees when they're virtual, like how do you train them and, and how to get them part of a company culture when the, the culture is not like in one office. And so the, again, it, it boils right down to communication. Not only do you have to communicate, but you have to communicate twice as often and you have to communicate in ways that they can really appreciate that you're there for them. And I, all through the pandemic, I have really push my CEOs to get on the phone and actually call employees every week and say, how are you doing? Something they would never, ever do if they were in the office, but doing that. So communicating that you care and that you, even though you're in the office setting, I mean, in the home setting, you, we do be care about you. And the same yeah. thing goes for having employees talk with each other. I really am firmly committed to having coffee dates with your colleagues where you just grab a cup of coffee for 15, 20 minutes on a Zoom call and just shoot it and talk about things that you would talk about in the office. These small things, these mindful things, again, are crucial to keep that community and culture in a company that is spread out. And I think this is going to be the norm. I think we're going to have a lot of hybrid where some people are in the office, some people are home. So learning how that communication continues is going to be crucial for success. Yeah. You mentioned about the cult, having the culture, and I think that's important. What are the things that 
people or employers and companies can do to help create that culture, especially if their teams are virtual? You talk about what we can do individually, but what could companies do to encourage that in their employees? I think the first thing that we need to do is really up our teamwork game and bring teams, get teams stronger. And some of the things you can do from a teamwork perspective is to set norms so that everybody knows what is expected of them, keep the meetings shorter, get timed agenda so you know what's going to happen and how, who's responsible for what. I think that's really, really important. The other thing I love that I think will be effective is having mentorship programs where there's mentors in a company helping others on their team. So it's more of a collaboration than a project management thing. And mentorship goes two ways. I like the idea of a seasoned professional speaking to the younger employee, but the younger employee brings so much value in terms of the latest technology, the latest thinking. So that reverse mentoring is a, a crucial idea. And that makes the younger person feel much more valued as well. So all those things to help people both communicate, get projects done and feel valued. And I also believe in Friday happy days, happy hours, not necessarily with alcohol, but once a month, everybody needs to jump on a Zoom call. And there's some great games that can be played, contests, trivia, just everybody let their hair down and and enjoy that. And some people roll their eyes at it, but there's so many people who enjoy it and need it. So that kind of keeping the culture and, and kind of light and together. And also, I suggest doing charity events online if you have if you're spread out having some kind of a charity that everybody can get behind and then do activities with that there's a lot to bring people together and then of course doing training so that you can have a company of excellence so all those things are are really helpful in that virtual environment yeah yeah i particularly like that charity idea i think that that's exciting because like you're less likely to get those eye rolls <laughs> with, with something that's for charity. But why, why do you think it is? Why, I mean, I've probably been guilty of that as just as much as anyone else. Like company events, get everyone coming together. And, really? <laughs> why, why are we like that? Well, I think it's our age, Johnny, to tell you the truth. Because younger <laughs> well, people... you know, I can remember being like this when I was much younger as well. So I'm not going to put it down. So maybe it's just <laughs> you. Maybe it's just one. you. <laughs> it could be it could be that I've always been a bit of an old grump it, it's yeah true. well so there it is but even old grumps can get motivated and that and a good leader would motivate someone like you to do that but you'd be surprised how many employees really enjoy holiday get-togethers secret uh friends St. Patrick's Day went out here we just had St. Patrick's Day celebrations Valentine's Day all the kind of stuff to bring people together and have some fun. Fourth of Fourth of July out here. All this America centric, yeah, but we don't holidays that, that bring but, yeah. everybody together. <laughs> everybody yeah, that yeah, bring yeah. people together, and or or live stream together, watch a Netflix show or something. There's just like a yeah. movie night. Yeah. So many creative things, and I would suggest that companies create a fun committee where people come together and figure out what they're going to do for fun every month. And believe it or not, that's going to re- raise morale, as well as I think get everybody more productive because they feel, again, part of something. And that Mm. is the most crucial thing is feeling part of a company, even if you're not working on site. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. I, I'm, I feel I'm a reformed Irola, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, I, I probably was, I, you know, definitely, I was one of those people. Like, I'd have my my arms folded, I'd be rolling my eyes, and you know, visibly tutting if somebody started mentioning these sorts of activities. And I, I don't think it was just my personality. I honestly think it's a cultural thing in 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 the UK. In my experience. Not just that that British reserve, but that we're not supposed to be emotional. We're not supposed to be having fun. This is a professional environment kind of thing. That you actually have to really get out of your own way to be able to do that. Thankfully, I've now learned to do that. Now I get excited and enthusiastic about these things. So it is possible. You can be one of those uh, old grumps with your arms folded going, everything that's going on, and change and be someone who's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's have fun. And I promise life's better on this side of the fence. It really is. It really is. And it was so interesting. You were talking, you know, when you talk about your arms folded and your your eyes rolling, I do so, communication is also body language. And I, in the good old days when I could speak in front of an audience, I always touched on body language because body language is 80% of what people watch, which is mm-hmm. why Zoom is so weird. To When you walk into a room and you stand up straight and you look someone in the eye and you give them a fern pound shake and you avoid eye rolling in any situation. And when you cross your arms, yeah, so that shows that grumpy things. But even in Zoom meetings, there is a way that you can help bring people in by how you, you're body language in in a zoom meeting too and we all know that people are looking down like this while you're in a meeting know that they're on their phones or they're not even engaged so yeah all those things are really important i mean if i was talking to you like this johnny like what the heck is she doing you know but i'm watching you i see you that's it's so that body language when you talk about communication it's really holistic to elevate you have to think about what you're hearing and listening to what you're saying and what you're looking like in terms of getting that whole thing so you can communicate and listen. And from there, you can really do wonderful things. I, I really like that. And I'll run something maybe like by you and you can tell me what you think because I, I think this is something that's really important. And we one of the things we do lose with the virtual world is eye contact right we don't if we look someone in the eyes when they're on our screen we're looking at our screen they to them it looks like we're looking at our screen to us it looks like we're looking in their eyes that's our natural tendency as a live streamer and a podcast host i have trained myself to look directly into the camera and to me the camera lens is your eyes which is a bit weird but i can see you on my screen as well i have to be in in peripheral focus to be able to do that so i don't see in full focus but to me this is how i establish connection because if you're looking at your screen you see me looking in essentially looking in your eyes yeah Exactly. I, I haven't looked at you once. I, and I've been looking at the camera because you have to. But again, Indeed. I see you in the in the. My worry is when we get back into the real world, if I'll be looking up like <laughs> instead of looking into your eyes, it is going to be strange getting back. We haven't. Not too many people have touched on really easing back into the world, because we back a year ago, I had five or six spring presentations canceled because they were live, right? I'm a, mm. I speak in front of audiences. So I had to pivot very quickly to virtual presentations. And that is no picnic because 
you don't have really don't have an audience. You're basically speaking to yourself for like an hour. And, uh, and I learned how to to do that. (laughs) What? It sounds okay to me. I do that anyway. (laughs) It's so funny, but you're speaking and there's no one, you don't have any audience. And I really feed off my audiences. And so I, you know, there's no audience feedback. I make jokes. I just laugh to myself. And you also have to amp it up as a communicator. You have to really amp it up to make it interesting and to hold an audience for 45 minutes because the Q and a is very difficult. And so what I've been, what I've been doing 45 minutes of a presentation, then Q and a for 15 or whatever for an hour presentation, but getting back into the real world, First of all, I'll have to wear like a full outfit, A, and B, learn how to wear heels again, and C, be able to really connect with people. And I'm very excited about that. It's my natural tendency. But I gotta, I'll be real honest with you. My first couple of, of presentations are going to be very odd because you're just not used to it. Those pivots, those transitions are just hard. But I really am excited about doing that. I, I'm, hope, you know, I'm hopefully sooner rather than later. Having, yeah, I'm dreading having to put high heels on again. But they're uh, wearing them now, and then you have to take them off. <laughs> Just that, I don't know. That would be fun. Maybe a bit painful. I do all my presentations standing up. It's a long time to be on your feet, as they say. But yeah, it, I find it interesting because for me, this whole thing wasn't really a big pivot. I was already doing this. I was already doing online coaching. I have been for years. I was already doing webinars. I was already doing presentations online and trainings. So most of the work that I've been doing over the last 10 years has already been online. Then, of course, there's the, the podcasting and the streaming. Well, to be honest, the streaming has been more of a recent thing, probably in the last five or six months that I've been doing more live streaming. Uh, and you can see how well that's going. <laughs> it's going great. It's so much fun. It's so much fun to be live. And it is, it is I, a lot of fun. I like it. Still ironing some of the kinks out, of course. It is a lot of fun going live on the calls. It's a bit of a different atmosphere. Um, still trying to figure out how to get things properly set up for audience interaction. And that's really what, one of the things that I want, one of the benefits potentially of live streaming. But in, ter- in terms of being able to communicate, it's, it's, if you listen to podcasts, you know, you can't really interact with them. But if you come to a live stream of the podcast as it's being recorded, then you can. And I think that's a lot of fun. That's uh, that's something that I thought, oh yeah, I want to have that potential in my show because I think that's going to give some real value to people. And th- so this is why I've done it. You know, so it's not just uh, me trying to answer, ask questions necessarily always on or give insights on behalf of my audience my audience can actually come and be a part of it and check in with the show. And if anyone's watching or listening and thinking, oh, I'd like to be part of your live streams, get in touch with me. I'll tell you how to join us in the live studio, in the virtual studio for each show. And you'll be very welcome to do that and participate in the audience. We'd love, we'd love to see you. So yes, yeah, things like that still getting a bit set up with, but the whole thing in terms of a communication level, I think it's really exciting. It's a very exciting format. It is, to me, the next best thing, the next best thing to being able to be live. In fact, some companies now are doing such a good job of virtual events. Uh, and I'm trying to think of one I was with recently, Hoover. Uh, I think it's Hoover or Hover, W-H-O-V-A. Such a good job of doing virtual live events. I was just at their PodFest event they do recently that it, in some ways it was better, <laughs> better than the real thing. You know, you can be at home. You don't have to travel. Yeah, there's a time zone thing for me, but ultimately I, I probably got into more of it and had all the recordings and could be more 
interactive and you can type in to the chat box and stuff as things are going on. I love it. From a communicate from a communication perspective, I think we've advanced to things that were already coming anyway and have been forced to move faster. Exactly. Accelerate. And I have I've all of a sudden I'm now speaking to a global audience, which I wasn't before. And that's been super fun. I've done a lot of, of podcasts for the UK and uh, I've met some great people. I've started I'm starting some business opportunities there. I just, it's wild, which would never have happened before. So there's always a silver lining when things are tough. There's always something, if, if the people who can pivot to the positive, which is my whole theme of my life, if you can pivot to the positive and figure out what will work as opposed to what's not working, then that mm. just can really change your life. Yeah. I want to I want to come back to that in just a moment, but you mentioned to me before that you are on Clubhouse. And Clubhouse is very much a voice-only kind of interaction. That's more challenging. You said how important the body language stuff is, and that's reduced on, on video. It's non-existent on Clubhouse. So how do we be better communicators when the only thing we have going on is our voice? That's such a great question. I love Clubhouse because you... It's only audio. And the thing that I've noticed, first of all, is we all have to be better listeners. And that is, it really is like, really helps you become an active listener because all you have is audio. And number two, you could really be looking like anything. You could be in your pajamas, which I'm quite a bit, and being on Clubhouse. But when I communicate on Clubhouse, I'm, I am sure, I am very mindful of what I say, how I say it, and the fact that I'm very succinct at what I do. I co-host a show every Monday at, at seven in the morning, The Power of the Pivot. And it's just really being succinct and giving value. So it makes you have to be a little more mindful. It's, it's kind of like doing push-ups for your communication skills because it's different mm -hmm. and it's challenging, but it's very rewarding. It's fascinating to me. Like when I very first started doing professional coaching work, before before everyone was really on Skype and had online capabilities, there were some people I could use Skype and stuff with, but most people it would be on the phone, so we'd have to make phone calls. Uh, remember those days? Goodness me! But you know, a lot of it wouldn't be face to face unless people could, act, unless it was like a travelable distance. So I was already fairly remote with the work that I do. But I love as much as anyone else the ability to be wherever I need to be with an internet connection and be able to do pretty much everything that I want to do professionally. And uh, that to me has been so liberating. And, and not just for me, I know. But, but I do also see that because I started doing all this very early on, I really had to get into understanding the differences between audio-only communication, especially in one-to-one -one coaching sessions, that you have to listen very carefully. And just as much as when you're reading, you sometimes have to look for context and what's not being said or what uh, the reasons why something is there. You have to do that in listening. And that is a real skill. Uh, and one, one that any, I think anyone can develop if they, if they have a mind to do it. I think you have to do that in Clubhouse as well. Like the whole auditory-only perspective, I think it does push you to, to be more present well, hopefully it does push you to be more present and if you find it doesn't 
I would encourage you to work on that and get in. You mentioned active listening earlier. Really listen to what's being said and speak, speak in context so that you're not just waiting for your turn to say what you really want to say, but you're actually listening so that you can respond appropriately to, to what's going on in the room. Because I certainly see out here, I should say, because you don't see it, but here that going on a lot in clubhouse rooms that I've been in. People don't necessarily take full scope uh, uh, of what uh, what is being said or what's really going on in the room. They just have in mind what they want to say and what they want to put out there. And I know Clubhouse is not the only place to do that, but uh, that is a common thing that goes on in social media that people will put stuff in that's just what they're thinking and is out of context to what's actually being discussed at the time. And 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 Johnny, you'll see that in team meetings, like you people aren't listening to each other and they just want to say something. And you can, there's nothing, I was talking to somebody else the other day, you, you, there's nothing worse than you talk about something and someone not only does not acknowledge what you just said, but totally changes the subject because they probably weren't listening to what you just said. And that is so dysfunctional and disrespectful. So to, to listen and then to, to respond appropriately, acknowledge what you heard and, and validate it. It's crucial. And Johnny, we're talking about personal and professional. This is really crucial with your family at home too. I don't think we listen enough to our kids and to our, our significant others as well as we should. I don't think we're really good active listeners. And when, and our kids know when they're not really being heard, when, even when they're little, if you've got your phone in your hand, you're listening to your kid, they know that you're not all there for them. Same thing with your significant other. So I think we can really, really up our game personally. One of the things I always ask my audiences to do is to go home, usually, or some people are already home, but ask your spouse how their day was and sit down and have them speak to you and listen and look at them right like this without a phone for 10 minutes. As opposed to saying, how was your day? And then you're like busy making dinner or showing the kids or whatever. It, you wouldn't believe how that enhances a relationship because the significant other is actually feeling that you're hearing them and that you care about that. Just that 10 minutes, they'll first of all wonder what's going on. <laughs> they'll be suspicious. <laughs> but once they get beyond the suspicion of what you're listening, what are you listening for? It's remarkable how we don't listen like we should. And then that that signals disrespect, not no interest. So a lot of the things that relationships have trouble with is that they're not, people don't feel like they're being heard, but we're not demonstrating that we're heard. And maybe you you can say, well, I heard you, I heard you. But if you're not feeling like you've been heard, it's a whole thing. So you can put that into the work home world. And you can also put, put that in the work world. Same thing with business colleagues, same thing with customers. So all that, it all adds up. This is very relatable content. <laughs> I only have to think back to last night and I'm like, oh yeah, I think we kind of do that. And so when I go home tonight, then I we should sit down on the sofa and look into each other's eyes. Is that? Yes. Yeah. And, and you and say, how was your day? day? I'm very interested in how your day was today. Come sit yeah. and tell me yeah. for a couple of minutes. Rather than it just being a throwaway line. Actually, right. Tell me. I'm very interested in how your day went today. That makes people feel so good, you know, and your kids too. I mean, I remember when my kids were growing up at the table, we would always have dinner every night that we could. And we'd say, what was the best part of your day and what sucked 
during your day. And we'd go around the table and we'd listen and comment. And the kids felt heard. And there were no electronics back then, but you know, if the phone rang, no one could answer it type of thing. You remember the home phone. But these small things you can do in your personal life to really help people you love to feel listened to goes a long way in strengthening relationships and building trust and showing your people who you love that they are valued. That's interesting. I was talking to, I can't remember if it was a, an, an actual live show. I get so confused now with what's actually gone out on a live show and what's been my pre-show conversation with people, but because <laughs> there's so many of them. But I was, And you're so busy. Some, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's good. It's good, but it is crazy. And so, yeah, I was talking to somebody and they were, they were saying about things like, communi- about talking about communication at home and like things, preferred methods of communication. And that if you if you really want to communicate well with, with your kids, that maybe the, one of the best ways to do that is to make sure that you know what their preferred methods of communication are and, and utilize them and to have them do yours as well. But, you know, I've heard of, we've heard of things like love languages and stuff like that but how do we really implement that in in our own relationship you talk about when we sit down on the sofa we have a nice chat some of the best times i've had with my significant other have been when we that chat leads into a deeper conversation or we end up discussing something and getting a a taste of our opinions or thoughts on it and and it feels like a really nice connection but i I also know that there are times when i feel like i need to send him a whatsapp message to get his attention <laughs> exactly. But truly, I, I take a five mile walk every morning with my husband and we have that time and we talk. I mean, we talk about issues, about society issues, you know, what's new in the news and, and family stuff. And when you're walking, you really are just the two of you and it's early in the morning and, and you really have that connection. And I just think it's so, so important. And especially with your kids, even if they don't want to talk to you, they're not used to talking to you. They need to learn how to talk to you and they need to learn how to interact and how to have eye contact and how to be body language. You need to teach your kids these stuff. They're not going to learn it in front of a computer. But these things also make them feel good when they want to tell you about your day. When they want to tell you about your day, Johnny, and you put down your phone, you sit down and you say, tell me about your day. That makes a kid feel fantastic. Also an employee it makes an employee feel when an employee walks into your office and you stop what you're doing, you swing away from the computer and you say, tell me what's going on. They want to sit down. Let's talk. That sort of that sort of interaction is so crucial to make people really feel valued to mm-hmm. not, you know, there's nothing worse than you walk into someone's office and they keep typing on their computer and you try to, I mean, there's so many examples. And if we're just mindful of this, we can, as I say, elevate our game and elevate our business, elevate our customer service. If we start listening to our customers more, it's all about communication. As, as someone who doesn't have kids, I, I, I wonder on behalf of those who do, uh, and, and I know you do so you can share this, but if you don't feel that you have that level of communication with your kids and you maybe you feel like you need to break the ice to be able to have that, where would you start? What, what, at at the dinner the table. Just the dinner table or take the kids out to a, or take a walk or go to the park or do some kind of just mindfully make some time to go do something together. 
spend some time. Even if they don't want to, take them to a zoo or an outdoor space, take them for a hike. Even if they don't want to, it's good for them to get out and it's good for them to have the opportunity to talk. And just mm. offering them that opportunity is crucial. And, uh, and showing them that you care, even if they don't want to say much, but knowing that you're there and you'll listen is it's very, very crucial. And I say, again, the same thing with a, a spouse or a parent. If you're caring for older parents, they need to be heard too. We all need mm-hmm. to be heard. Yeah, my, my parents tune into the show, so I'll be careful what I say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll tell how you had your mom and dad. We have a good relationship, and, and I actually really enjoy talking to my parents now. And when I was a kid, I couldn't really have imagined that being the case. But I've always loved my parents. But I, you know, we have a really cool relationship. That's now, awesome. I love, you know, yeah, I, I love going out for dinner and drinks with them, uh, and you know, sometimes uh, we'll just go and grab a coffee somewhere, and it's really nice, and, and we can just hang out and chat about all sorts of things under the sun. That's lovely. The connection is lovely, but it hasn't always been perfect. You know, every, every relationship has ups and downs. Now it's now it's really good. I'm very pleased with that relationship. Every relationship, even if it's good, can always be a bit better with, with a bit of attention and with a bit more presence in the relationship. Presence. That's the key, Johnny. Presence and watering that relationship, just watering it and nourishing, nurturing it. And because uh, it can't be neglected because it's neglected. That's when things fall apart. And we have to, and it's hard because we're all so busy and we've got COVID going on and all sorts of wild things going on. And it's difficult to stay focused on a relationship. But at the end yeah. of the day, it's the most important things we have. Mm. I want to come back now to the pivot to the positive and find out from you where that came from and what it means to you. Well, I am a cancer survivor. And I realized that there's, there's when, when I realized, when I found out that I had it, I decided to stop, retire from, I stopped my teaching career, retired from my faculty position, a tenured faculty position. And I wanted to start this business of professional speaking because I realized that negativity never moves us forward. So I used to bring positivity into my classroom all the time. In addition to teaching content, I would give motivational talks to my students. And I could see what a difference it made in their confidence and their productivity. And the fact that if they could find the positive in anything, no matter what the challenges, and there's so many challenges when you're going to college and you're graduating and trying to find a career. But if you could stay positive and look at the opportunities and not necessarily the downsides of things, you really can live a more joyful life. And so I've had a lot of loss in my life and I've had a lot of challenges in my life, but I've always found that I'm happier and I can move forward when I stay positive. And no matter what happens in your life, there's a way you can be positive. And so even when you wake up in the morning, you have a choice. You have a choice to either I'm going to have a miserable day today or I'm going to have a great day today. And people who are cancer survivors or, or who have survived trauma and they feel they're lucky just to wake up in the morning, you'll find that that's just the win altogether and the rest is just icing on the cake. So when you bring this into a corporate setting, when you help employees pivot to the positive, when you tell leaders you can't walk into a, a meeting negative, you can't be cranky you, because your people are modeling themselves after you. So mm-hmm. everything, every time that you pivot to the positive, you move forward in your world and you open up opportunities. So that's mm-hmm. how I, so I 
that really become kind of a mantra for me that no matter what happens, let's figure out how to pivot to the positive. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, this is <laughs> I was going through my head when you're saying that as well. I was, I was thinking about it. I think I was a, a morbidly obsessed teenager. A morbidly obsessed, not morbidly morbidly obese. Hopefully, I, will. <laughs> I don't think I was that. But I was kind of obsessed with death. Maybe that's a maybe that's a common thing for teenagers. It is common. Uh, yeah, but I was convinced as a teenager that I probably wasn't going to live past 28. I can't tell you why I was convinced of that. I just was. I was kind of thinking, yeah, probably only going to live to 28. And I just had that number set in my head. So weirdly enough, when I got, <laughs> I think I got over that into my 20s anyway. But when I certainly when I got past 28, I realized that I, I was now older than I ever thought I was going to live to as a teenager. And, and even past that even at that sort of around 30 sort of age i started to recognize you know, every day was a gift and every day was a bonus to where i thought i was going to get to and that only i think that only increases hopefully as you get older if, if you're paying attention <laughs> that every day is a bonus but there it is important to be able to reframe things in your life as uh, either it's all uh, a tragedy or it's all fun and joy there are good and bad things in life but your general demeanor your general baseline level is going to determine what you pick so if your baseline is depressed and everything is bad then whatever happens that's what you're going to paint it with that's the lens that you see it through whereas if your baseline is okay for the most part life is really good you don't have to pretend things are positive when they're not but i do think you're at least a lot more likely to be think maybe asking yourself where's the opportunity here in this or what is there here to be positive or happy about it's not painting on a smile when you don't feel happy it's not trying to fake your emotions it's just reframing yourself and saying you know what actually there is still stuff to appreciate here you have a much better chance so i think of finding opportunities being more successful and good things happening because your expectations to to the greatest degree are going to be creating that for you Absolutely. And it really does help with resilience. Now, if you're depressed all the time, that's where the therapists come in. I always say you need, therapy is really crucial. Therapy and medications can, ver- can are really helpful if you're depressed and clinically depressed. That, But when you dealt with that and you realize how you're going to move forward, it's crucial to have that resilience. And I don't think we're teaching this generation as much as we were taught that resilience, that it's okay, that things bad things can happen to you. This is how you cope with them, and this is how you move forward. And yeah, I think that's such yeah. an important thing we need to teach because bad things do happen to all of us. And I was listening to someone on Clubhouse this morning, which was a fascinating thing, and he was saying that he was really bullied as a child. And he's, this is one of those like $10.1 million guys in one of those huge rooms. And he said he was bullied as a child, but he said that he said that it's important to – to move through that bullying and to learn from it because there's so many bullies in the business world that you have to deal with and how do you deal with a bully as an adult? And it was very profound because I was bullied as a, a kid too and learning how to cope with it then. And when you get into the bullying now in my adulthood, I have no problems with bullies. I know exactly how to deal with them. But if, if you don't allow kids to understand that or teach them that, then they're in trouble. So that whole thing about not protecting your kids, but helping them move through these challenges and moving through hard times and moving through grief and then continuing forward, that's the gift that you really want to give somebody. 
Mm, it is interesting i suffered bullying as well at school uh, and i do have a, a bit of a story which we don't really have time for but, uh, but about me standing up to my bully at school and, and never got bullied again afterwards and not not just by people who knew about that but uh, because it changed my attitude uh, and it changed my approach as well and to know to some degree you know bullies in those environments are going to pick on as they always do the who they whoever they feel are the weakest or easiest targets the people who are least likely to fight back the people who seem perhaps the most placid or timid that they are the easier targets to go for than somebody who's likely to get up in their face again so yeah it's an interesting thing but it's funny what you can take away from that is at the time that's a really horrible situation but even with a horrible situation, there are some really positive lessons you can take away from it just by reframing it or saying, you know what, actually that prepared me and that set me up for the, the things that we get to come. It's one of the reasons why I love that Stoic philosophy has made a, a resurgence into, into the general consciousness. You know, a lot of that's down to people like Tim Ferriss, for sure, who have put some of the books out there. He, he, um, he put out a series of books, I think, from Seneca. And uh, I've also had been fortunate enough to have chats with people like Donald Robertson, who's a real expert on this, and followed a lot of Ryan Holiday's stuff as well. And, and find that's a really powerful philosophy for mental resilience and for being able to not just withstand the things that life throws at you, but to be able to withstand them and, and go through them with some grace and and with some perspective as to that you still have choices here. There are still things you have control over and take yourself out of the victim mentality of the world happening to you and put yourself into okay if there's nothing you can do about it you just have to let it pass because it will it's temporary like everything else but if there is something you can do about it do that and see if it makes a difference because the only thing you really can influence is your own thoughts and your own reactions to things so how you respond that's going to be down to you and so it's it's up to you whether it's going to be a positive response or a negative one Amen. That's exactly it. That's exactly what I coach too. And it's, yeah. and it's, and if people who can get that are, are, can really find joy. People who understand what they can control and what they can't let going of guilt, let going of uh, perfectionism and just living their lives for them the way they want to live it. Not worrying about what other people think all those things together and in a positive frame. I think that that's a good ticket to finding joy every day. I think so too. I, I've really been I've really been enjoying this conversation, Laurie. And one of the things that I like to ask my guests for is a book recommendation. It doesn't have to be nonfiction. It can just be a book that you really enjoyed. But you know, if one of your friends came to you and said, hey, Laurie, what, what's a good book that I should read and check out? What would you recommend? Can I do two? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Fiction-wise, I just finished reading, and I don't have the author in front of me, but it's called Cooking for Picasso. And it's a wonderful fiction book about this woman in the 1930s who who cooked for the artist Picasso. And it talks about it's a romantic novel, but it's also historical and it's artsy. And it's just a very fun read. And there's kind of a mystery in there. So it's called Cooking for Picasso. I absolutely loved it. And my favorite leadership book is called The Leadership Challenge. And it's by Barry Posner and James Cousy's. K-O-U-Z-E-S. And it's an old book. It was in the early 2000s, but I think they have a new edition out. But it's all about how to be a leader. And there's five different characteristics of a leader, which you can read about. But my favorite characteristic is called modeling the way. So as a leader, you want to model leadership for others. And when you start 
thinking about how you want to model leadership, you become a better leader. So it's a wonderful book. It's fascinating. It's easy to get into. I, I read it in my doctoral program. And I think if you want to do a leadership journey yourself, this is a wonderful place to start. It's really one of my favorite books. Fantastic. So you mentioned that you're on Clubhouse. We talked about that. If, if someone's wanting to connect with you on Clubhouse, uh, how are they going to connect with you there? My handle is my name. I think you could just search my name, Lori Baker Shenna, S-C-H-E-N-A. But also I'm Dr. B-S, D-O-C-T-O-R-B-S. That's also my Twitter handle. And I got that because <laughs> when I was teaching in school, I was Professor B-S because Baker Shenna. And then when I got my doctorate, my students started calling me Dr. B-S. And it just really stuck with me because it's funny. I like, I'm very funny and, and I don't take any BS. So the thing that was so great about this though, Johnny, is that I used to go on planes when I flew around the country and people would meet you. And how do I get to you? I said, just look me up at Dr. BS. And, uh, and people would, people remember that. And then yeah. my clients would start, would, would call me Dr. BS. I mean, and the employees and all the people I coached, Dr. BS, and just was words of endearment. So that's how you find me, Dr. BS, D-O-C-T-O-R-B-S. And that's, I made that for my clubhouse. <laughs> what well, other than clubhouse are the best ways to, to get in contact with you? The absolute best way to get in touch with me is my website, which is www.lauriebakershenna.com. Excellent stuff. Drop me so, a line. Uh, all that will be in the show notes and of course I'll, i will update the youtube video afterwards with all the intro and outro all the stuff i was trying to get to work at the start that i couldn't get figured out that will all be in there when it goes out uh, as a, a rebroadcast <laughs> but for now any closing words for anyone as we close things off today i just urge everyone to pivot to the positive whenever you can and really be mindful of the way you're communicating and work hard to be an active listener. I think you're really going to be able to elevate your personal life and your professional life. And thank you so much, Johnny, for having me here. I had an amazing time. It's been a real pleasure. I hope you'll come back again in the future. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember to subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode of Speaking of Influence. Whilst you're here, go and grab yourself a free copy of the Last Minute Presentation Checklist. If you ever have to give presentation at short notice, it's going to be the tool you need and you can download it for free from presentinfluence.com. You'll also find information on the site about how to apply to be a guest on the show if you're interested in that or my other show, Points of Change, as well as other resources, materials and all backdated episodes episodes of Speaking of Influence. Next week, I double your pleasure with two episodes of Speaking of Influence, all about branding. Firstly, with Orsa Riedhard, she's talking about brand stories for businesses. And then an episode all about personal branding with the amazing personal branding expert, Ash Borland. Don't miss any of that. Make sure you're tuned in. See you next time.